Hey, welcome into Positive Light. We're bringing a positive light into this world and into your life. And hi, I'm Bob Miles. So today's episode is going to be on Psalm 91, 14 through 16, which says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is my favorite scripture, and I have this up on my computer as my background because it's so important to me that I can get myself into trouble and God's going to save me and honor me. That's so important to hear for me. And Rick Warren writes, goodness and mercy will always follow you. So when you put your trust in Jesus, you never need to fear the future. His goodness and mercy are with you every day. You're following the good shepherd and he is out in front of you with his rod and staff. And the back of the flock are a couple of sheepdogs, goodness and mercy, nipping at your heels, making sure you don't run off into a ravine. These two sheepdogs keep you on track as you follow the good shepherd. Do you know that God's goodness is watching over you? Did you know that a second has never passed in your life when God was not watching you? God is always paying attention to you because he created you to love you. He knows every detail of your life. Psalm 145.20 says, The Lord watches over all who love him. Not only does he watch over you, but he also protects you. The Bible says God will command his angels to protect you wherever you go from Psalm 91:11. God's protection doesn't mean that only good things will happen to you. Suffering and disappointment will still come your way. But God will ensure that good will come out of everything that happens to you, whether or not you're able to see it in this lifetime, how he has been working. God's mercy and grace is working in you. The Bible says in Isaiah 60.10, I will have mercy on you through my grace. Grace is when God gives you what you don't deserve. Mercy is when God doesn't give you what you do deserve. For all the ways you've sinned, failed, and made mistakes, you deserve punishment. Yet God pardons and forgives you through Christ. That's mercy. It is God's nature to be merciful. He loves to show his mercy. He doesn't get bored with it. He doesn't get tired of it. He doesn't get frustrated that you keep coming back for more. God doesn't say, okay, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I'll give goodness. And on Tuesday and Thursday, I'll give mercy. And on Saturday and Sunday, you're on your own. That's simply not true. The truth is, God is with you every moment of every day, always offering his goodness and mercy. Nobody knows what's going to happen next week, much less next year or in the next 10 years. But when you face the future, you can know this. God will fill your life to overflowing and his goodness and mercy will be with you. There is no need to fear. And since we're coming up on the anniversary of 9-11, I thought I'd read a story regarding uh, that aspect. And it's called A Pilot's Awe-Inspiring 9-11 Story, How Two Men Died in His Place. Much has been written and said about September 11, 2001. The stories will continue to surface for the rest of our lives and beyond. 
It was one of the worst catastrophes in U.S. history and has drastically changed everything in our country and around the world. Almost 3,000 people, citizens from 78 countries, lost their lives on that tragic day. But it seems that with every story of tragedy, there's also a story of divine deliverance. Why is that? Were all the bad people supernaturally herded into the Twin Towers that Tuesday morning and the good people diverted? No. There was also a tower that fell and killed people near Jerusalem in Jesus' time. This was an actual current event, not a parable. In Luke 13, 4-5, Jesus addressed a tragic event to make a point. He said, Are those eighteen on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. This is widely speculated to be in the same area as the Pool of Siloam near the city of David, just south of the old city. That's where Jesus healed the man who was blind from birth. Ironically, it was presumably in the same area at the Pool of Siloam where Jesus reiterated the same point. When his disciples asked who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Of course, the many wonderful promises in Scripture of divine protection are true and even God breathes from 2 Timothy 3.16. Moreover, there are also many Scriptures that make a correlation between disobedience and calamity. And those are also true. But at the same time, in these aforementioned verses, Jesus seemed to substantiate our old adage, bad things happen to good people. Why? For me to take a stab at completely clarifying all that would take much more time than I have here. But one thing is for sure. The explanation would no doubt center around the fact that we live in a fallen world. The bad news is, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, from Romans 5.17. But in the next verse, the good news is, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness, for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. In football, sometimes there is a broken play, oftentimes initiated by somebody not doing what he's supposed to do. The original play is then out the window, and the quarterback scrambles. Since the fall, each and every one of us is scrambling. It's a broken play thanks to Adam and Eve. Although the Lord is more concerned about the post-game show, he desires for each of us to go all the way for a touchdown. However, he has an imperfect play and an imperfect blockers around us to work with. Furthermore, there are 11 fierce opponents that Coach Adam led in the game. They want to take us out. Due to the host of mostly unknown and perplexing factors, some make the first down and some get sacked. One of those stories of divine deliverance on 9-11 is that of Steve Scheibner, who was a first officer on the Boeing 767 for American Airlines. So Nolan Llewellyn, who wrote this story, was a pilot for American as well, but never got to meet Steve. He said, being based in different cities and flying different equipment, it would have been unusual for us to meet. However, we have a common friend, Dan Griffin, 
who was in the training department at American and trained with him. He spoke very highly of Steve, both professionally as a pilot and also as a Christian. He explains that he was on reserve and how a line holder or a pilot who has a regular schedule, Tom McGinnis, bumped him off the trip in a 30-minute window after it was assigned. Steve said in another interview that this had only happened to him three times in 20 years. I was on reserve at American for about 10 years and I can't remember that ever happening to me. Tom McGinnis celebrated his birthday with his wife and kids on September 10th the day he picked up that trip. But back in high school, he had asked Cheryl, who would become his wife, to their senior prom two days prior, and she accepted. I got a dress, and we went to the prom, and we stayed together ever since, Cheryl McGinnis said. The 42-year-old former Navy pilot kissed his wife goodbye and their in Portsmouth, New Hampshire home, that fateful morning never to return. Cheryl had said, Every life endures sadness and loss. But my story is that no matter what you have experienced or what pain you have suffered, God can bring you through the ashes and destruction to the beauty of life. Scheibner shares that years prior to 2001, he wrote this life objective, to seek, trust, and glorify God through humble service and continual prayer, to raise up qualified disciples as quickly as possible so that someday I might hear God say, Well done, my good and faithful servant, from Steve Scheibner. He says that after 9-11, God took that life objective that I already had, and he intensified it for me. Scheibner points out that on two occasions, someone has died in his place, Tom McGinnis and Jesus Christ. But he makes a clear distinction in the two. On a monumental as the unfolding 9-11 was to his life, He underscores how it could compare to Jesus dying on the cross for him. He doesn't know why Tom took that seat he was supposed to be in, but said, What has stuck with me all these years is that fact that he, God, did leave me behind. So I need to act like I'm living on borrowed time because I am. So next I'm going to play you a song and it's called Take Me to the Rock by Tommy and Eileen Walker. And here it is. Take me to the rock Take me to the rock Take me to the rock That is higher than I Take me to the rock Take me to the rock Take me to the rock That is higher than I For me, yes, a strong tower from the enemy. Take me to, take me to the rock.
foundation, Lord. I need it, I need it. The rock I place my life upon every water's way. You are a fine foundation, Lord. Yes, the rock I place my life upon. Let's take it up. What a great song by Tom and Eileen Walker. And here's what Tommy said regarding that song. He said, this song is written from Psalm 61, in which David is writing from a low, weary, dangerous, and far from God place. What can be somewhat confusing and yet wonderful is that David prays to be taken to the rock that is high above and simultaneously to God himself. Often when we are at our lowest point, we don't have the strength to get to God on our own. We need his intervention. Our God invites us to boldly cry out to him like the psalmist did. Lord, I'm here in the valley. Help me. Lead me and take me to where you are. That is the prayer and promise of this song, that God will in fact lift us to himself. 
And here are some additional scriptures that highlight the lyrics of this song. From Psalm 18.10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs to and it is safe and set on high. From Psalm 91.2, This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. From Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. In Psalm 18.2, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock, and whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. Matthew 7.24-27 Anyone who listens to my teaching follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Since we're coming up on 9-11, I want to share this with you. It's Billy Graham spoke powerfully of hope, faith, and love of Jesus Christ when he addressed a nation from Washington, D.C. on September 14, 2001, just three days after the 9-11. So here's the audio clip of this. President and Mrs. Bush, I want to say a personal word on behalf of many people. Thank you, Mr. President for calling this day of prayer and remembrance. We needed it at this time. We come together today to reaffirm our conviction that God cares for us. Whatever our ethnic, religious, or political background may be, the Bible says that he's the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. No matter how hard we try, words simply cannot express the horror, the shock, and the revulsion we all feel over what took place in this nation on Tuesday morning. September 11 will go down in our history as a day to remember. Today we say to those who masterminded this cruel plot and to those who carried it out that the spirit of this nation will not be defeated by their twisted and diabolical schemes. Someday, those responsible will be brought to justice, as President Bush and our Congress have so forcefully stated. But today, we especially come together in this service to confess our our need of God. We've always needed God from the very beginning of this nation. But today we need him especially. We're facing a new kind of enemy. We're involved in a new kind of warfare, and we need the help of the Spirit of God. The Bible words are our hope. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. But how do we understand something like this? Why does God allow evil like this to take place? 
Perhaps that is what you are asking now. You may even be angry at God. I want to assure you that God understands these feelings that you may have. We've seen so much on our television, on our, heard on our radio, stories that bring tears to our eyes and make us all feel a sense of anger. But God can be trusted, even when life seems at its darkest. But what are some of the, but what are some of the lessons we can learn? First, we are reminded of the mystery and reality of evil. I've been asked hundreds of times in my life why God allows tragedy and suffering. I have to confess that I really do not know the answer, totally, even to my own satisfaction. I have to accept by faith that God is sovereign and He's a God of love and mercy and compassion in the midst of suffering. The Bible says that God is not the author of evil. It speaks of evil as a mystery in 1 Thessalonians 2.7. It talks about the mystery of iniquity. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? He asked that question, who can understand it? And that's one reason we each need God in our lives. The lesson of this event is not only about the mystery of iniquity and evil, but secondly, it's a lesson about our need for each other. What an example New York and Washington have been to the world these past few days. None of us will ever forget the pictures of our courageous firefighters and police, many of whom have lost friends and colleagues, or the hundreds of people attending or standing patiently in line to donate blood. A tragedy like this could have torn our country apart, but instead it has united us and we've become a family. So those perpetrators who took this on to tear us apart it has worked the other way. It's backlash. It's backfired. We are more united than ever before. I think this was exemplified in a very moving way when the members of our Congress stood shoulder to shoulder the other day and sang, God bless America. Finally, difficult as it may be for us to see right now, this event can give a message of hope, hope for the present and hope for the future. Yes, there is hope. There's hope for the present because I believe the stage has already been set for a new spirit in our nation. One of the things we desperately need is a spiritual renewal in this country. We need a spiritual revival in America. And God has told us in his word time after time that we're to repent of our sins and we're turned to him and he will bless us in a new way. But there's also hope for the future because of God's promises. As a Christian, I have hope not just for this life, but for heaven and the life to come. And many of those people who died this past week are in heaven right now, and they wouldn't want to come back. It's so glorious and so wonderful, and that's the hope for all of us 
who put our faith in God. I pray that you will have this hope in your heart. This event reminds us of the brevity and the uncertainty of life. We never know when we too will be called into eternity. I doubt if even one of those people who got on those planes or walked into the World Trade Center or the Pentagon last Tuesday morning thought it would be the last day of their lives. They didn't, it didn't occur to them. And that's why each of us needs to face our own spiritual need and commit ourselves to God and His will now. Here in this majestic National Cathedral, we see all around us symbols of the cross. For the Christian, I'm speaking for the Christian now, the cross tells us that God understands our sin and our suffering. For he took upon himself in the person of Jesus Christ our sins and our suffering. And from the cross, God declares, I love you. I know the heartaches and the sorrows and the pains that you feel, but I love you. The story does not end with the cross. For Easter points us beyond the tragedy of the cross to the empty tomb. It tells us that there is hope for eternal life. For Christ has conquered evil and death and hell. Yes, there is hope. I've become an old man now, and I've preached all over the world. And the older I get, the more I cling to that hope that I started with many years ago and, began, and proclaimed it in many languages to many parts of the world. Several years ago, at the National Prayer Breakfast here in Washington, Ambassador Andrew Young, who had just gone through the tragic death of his wife, closed his talk with a quote from the old hymn, How Firm a Foundation. We all watched in horror as planes crashed into the, the steel and glass of the World Trade Center. Those majestic towers built on solid foundations were examples of the prosperity and creativity of America. When damaged, those buildings eventually plummeted to the ground, imploding it upon themselves. Yet underneath the debris is a foundation that was not destroyed. Therein lies the truth of that old hymn that Andrew Young quoted, How Firm a Foundation. Yes, our nation has been attacked, buildings destroyed, lives lost. But now we have a choice, whether to implode and disintegrate emotionally and spiritually as a people and a nation, or whether we choose to become stronger through all of this struggle to rebuild on a solid foundation. And I believe that we're in the process of starting to rebuild on that foundation. That foundation is our trust in God. That's what this service is all about. And in that faith, we have the strength to endure something as difficult and horrendous as what we've experienced this week. This has been a terrible week with many tears, but also it's been a week 
of great faith. Churches all across the country have called prayer meetings. And today is a day that they're celebrating not only in this country, but in many parts of the world. And in the words of that familiar hymn that Andrew Young quoted, it says, Fear not, I am with thee. O be not dismayed, for I am thy God, and will give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upon my righteous, on thy righteous omnipotent hand. My prayer today is that we will feel the loving arms of God wrapped around us and will know in our hearts that he will never forsake us as we trust in him. We also know that God is going to give wisdom and courage and strength to the president and those around him. And this is going to be a day that we will remember as a day of victory. May God bless you all. So that does bring you my end of my episode today, but next week's episode is going to be a continuation of what this is, and it's called, Where Was God During 9-11? And my closing prayer, as always, is that God blesses the journey you're on with Him and that you embrace that path. You can connect with me at positivelightpodcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Anywhere you download your podcast, you get Positive Life for free. I hope everybody had a great week. God bless, and we'll catch you next week.